The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hmm. I'll give it to you. You'll be ready. Let's do it. Good morning and welcome to the Hard Luck Show. I'm your certified, qualified West Side host, Steve Lucky Luciano. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, you tuned into the greatest show on earth. It's the Hard Luck Show coming at you from the Pico Youth Center in the city of Santa Monica. Sitting across from me is my co-host, my partner, the Mad Indian. Chumahan, Bowen, American Indian, Southern Californian, elegant barbarian. With another heater once again. Come on. Psycho rum today. Yeah. Listen, it's just me and Chumahan on it. No yeah. Sean right now. He's no running Sean. the board. Um, and we have a special guest. Uh Special request, very walk spe- on. Man, dude. This is his music. This is his theme. I want to welcome on a very, very special guest. I want to welcome from the city of Hawthorne, little by way of Little Watch, let's welcome Big Trouble onto the show. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Little Led Zeppelin. Yeah. For your skull cap. Sir. That's it, dog. You can't yeah. go wrong there. Look right at that on, smile right on. on Lucky's face, man. He <laughs> loves fucking Led Zeppelin. Can't go wrong. You no. can, brother. Because I try and tell fools, man, I got Tupac and Led Zeppelin in my car. There it is. You know? Can't what's up? Here, let me fix that up for you. Yes, sir. What's, go- what's going on, Trubs? West West. What's going on today? Oh, man, just right here, man. Thanks hey. for having me on, you know? Of course. Yeah. Thank you for coming. <clears throat> and before we get... Oh, hold on one second. Steve... Don't worry about that piece of it. See if you can just get the mic closer, because it might it might turn over if you you got it. Never mind. You don't need my help. What the fuck, guys? We've been running the show for three hundred twenty three episodes. The fuck? Who the fuck am I talking to? But the point of the matter is, for the uninitiated, and for Mister and Missus Earbuds who are listening right now on a military base in South Korea, right on. What is Little Watts? All right, so uh, Little Watts is a neighborhood uh, originated in the Hawthorne area. Uh, came out in the 60s. Now, a lot of people are wondering, why is it called Little Watts if yeah. it's not in Watts and so on and mm-hmm. so forth, right? Okay, so I always say, I like to use this as an example. Mm-hmm. You heard of Little Tokyo? Yep. Is, oh, that, yeah. is that in Tokyo? Nope. Nope. What about Little China, Little Armenia, Little, nope. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So when they talk about Little something, they're talking about something that resembles Right. Something right, else. Right, right, right. 
So Big Trouble in Little China is the best example I can give. <laughs> Big Trouble in Little Hot or, or yeah. Little Watch. Right. Big Trouble in Little Watch, right? Right. So yeah. that's so, so that's my interpretation of it. When they talk about Little China, they're talking about Chinatown. Mm-hmm. When you go to a big city, they have a town that resembles China. Yeah. Right. So the people that are Chinese, they have a place to go. They kind of have their own little set you know, up setup where they recognize the language, the style. the, the Resembles where they come from. Right. right. And, and, and preserve some of the culture. Right. It's all about the culture. So right. in the 60s, if you guys can have a flashback to the Watts riots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Watts riots were protest, obviously, mm-hmm. about a lot of things that are still going on. That are yep. still fucked up. Uh, you know, police brutality and whatnot. You know how they like to do. But, yep. Um, yep. So anyway, so... In that area uh, where I was at, you know, where I grew up at, um, there was a little spot that wasn't, it was actually in between Hawthorne, Gardena, Londale, was a little unincorporated part of L.A. And people that were around the area used to say it was like Watts in there. Mm. So they used to say, oh, it's, it's like Watts. Watts was known to be, this was before Compton, this was before South Central, Watts was the place that everybody thought of as one of the worst places. It's one of the hardest places. I mean, they basically thought of it as like a little third world country. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Compton came on, obviously, in the 80s, South Central in the 80s, Mm -hmm. 90s. But this is 60s, 70s. We're talking about Watts. It was Watts, man. It was Watts. So people said it was like Watts in there. And you had everything. You had the, you know, the uh, drugs. People would go there. We had a crack spot. People would line up. Uh, we had Sherman there. We had the thing. And there was, before they changed the, the street to Marine, it used to be called uh, Compton Avenue. No so shit. So it still had that that little, you know, even though Compton wasn't known yet, it was still known. It just wasn't it mainstream. Wasn't right, right, right. It wasn't right, publicized. Right, right, there you go. But it was still known. I mean, everybody if you knew, knew. You knew. You knew. Yeah, right. So uh, that area was was called Little Watts because it resembled Watts. So people said it was like Watts in there. So somebody said they lived over there. Oh, you live over there in Little Watts. Mm-hmm. And that became the nickname that the town gave. Yeah. Now, most of the homies that were in that town were from Hawthorne, right? right. Went to school in Hawthorne, uh, elementary school, growing up, even losing her high school and so on. And so the Hawthorne and the Little Watts became united as one. And okay. it became known as Hawthorne Little Watts because Gardena had okay. their set, even though our Little Watts hood is, is basically on, it, it crosses borders. It goes into Gardena, into Torrance, and into Lawndale. Okay. Um, but uh, Hawthorne was our city. So then Hawthorne Little Watts became uh, unanimous, and it's been going on since then. You know what's crazy about Hawthorne, and we won't stay too much on this topic, but I read a little bit about Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. Hawthorne was an unincorporated little spot created by a dude whose name was actually, his last name was Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. And it was a whites-only community initially. And they used to have signs that would tell black people to get home before sundown. Curfew laws. Right? They had curfew laws. Think about that. That's crazy. Think about that. It's fucking way out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start digging into the history of, like, L.A. and shit, how Inglewood used to be all Jewish. Like, it's crazy, dog. All All these areas had some... Crazy stuff. And it ain't that long ago. Oh, no. We're talking 30, 40, 50 years... I mean, even when before our time, just before our time, it was still like that. Yeah, and 50s, uh, yeah. right. And so in Hawthorne, uh, the Beach Boys are the the main. That's the the big gig out of Hawthorne, and they were, you know, straight. But they they actually how tore many down. beaches are in Hawthorne? No, the be- there's no beaches. Just the Beach Boys <laughs> live right, there. Beach right. Boys are from there. They're from there. Really? They have a monument there because they tore their house down when they built that freeway, the 105. Yeah. They tore like their main. 
house down so they have a monument out that way the beach boys are, but there's no beaches in Hawthorne, right. right so i mean you tell the me the beach boys are like the american equation of the beatles right pretty much yeah. right. pretty much right. Yeah. Right. so so okay so little watts Hawthorne, we understand that aspect um and so you grew up in the 70s in that area or no i was actually born in the 70s so it's a it's, I mean, it's a long story with that uh I grew up in the 70s. Uh, I was born in Long Beach, uh, California. And then uh, I grew up mostly on the west side, Inglewood. Uh, then my mom and my dad split. And uh, see, I have family in Colorado and New Mexico. They're, oh, from okay. the, they're from the Ute Nation. Okay. And so, um, you know, my mom went back with her family out that way. When she first moved out here, she actually lived in Venice. Is that right? Mm. So she came from Denver to Venice. My grandfather was hired out here to help build that, uh, what is it, the Kaiser over there on La Cienega. La Cienega and Cadillac, yep. yeah. He's, he was part of the build of that. He was in construction. Okay. So he moved the family out here, my grandma uh, and uh, my mom and then a couple siblings, my older uh, uncle, Tony, and Marguerite, whatever. They all grew up and went to school in Venice. Okay. And so, uh, but then my mom actually moved to La Puente and went to Bassett High, and that's where she met my dad. So then, um, you know, here I come, and uh, my my parents are mixed. So in the 70s, especially Mm -hmm. in the 70s, it was a hard thing for them. Yeah. Uh, Mixed in what way? What were they mixed? So my dad, when you look at him, you know that he's mixed with black. Um, But he's from Jamaica. So I have like five. I love Jamaicans. He has five generations behind him of of Jamaicans. I'm actually first born in America from that side. Right. Uh, But then on my mom's side, they've been here for... They've been here since the 1600s. They're part of the um, the movement for, with the Spaniards and the Utes and the yeah. and, the, and the, the the natives actually meeting up and creating like a whole new race, like the mixed race between not Mexican though, because it was north of the. This used to be Mexico, as we all know. Sure, but uh, but before when, it was Mexico, it was native. Right, it was all native, but Mexico is also part of the native. It's just different clans. It's different, mm-hmm. different nations, different you know mm-hmm. um, blood types, as you know. And uh, there were no borders. Right. There were only territories that right. people claimed. So uh, you know, once the colonization began and they started putting up borders, people got stuck either below the border or above the border. Right. A lot of my folks came from below the border and settled in. New Mexico, which okay. is Taos, actually. Yeah. They were mm-hmm. from some of the early settlers in Taos, New Mexico. I've been mm. there. Wow. And um, they're from the Ute Nation, as I mentioned. So uh, Ignacio, Colorado, mm-hmm. Aztec, Colorado, and so on. Right. Um, you know, that's where they're from. So when my mom came here, only because my grandfather was hired for that big job, mm-hmm. he was done with it. He went back. Right. So, but, my, but by then, my mom uh, lived with my grandma, moved to uh, La Puente, met my dad, and then, uh, then they had me, and then they lived out here in the West Side. So we lived in Inglewood first with my other grandma, my Jamaican grandma. Mm. What's then, that like, having a Jamaican dude, grandma? Dude, this is a great story. Like, Jesus Christ, I don't even want to yeah, hear about yeah. the career yet. I want to fucking hear about grandma. Yeah. So, my, so when I was little, my grandma used to watch me. Uh, I, I lived out here in Culver City on uh, Washington and Inglewood Boulevard. Damn. And I went to Grandview Elementary School. Okay. All and right. so uh, my grandma lived on Washington Place. She was mm-hmm. in some apartment. Yeah. And, and I used to be at her house, and she used to be cooking me up Jamaican food. She had Jamaican artifacts in her house. Did yeah. she? Authentic. She's authentic Jamaican. Well, what is a Jamaican grandmother like? Are they strict? Like, did, was she? Oh, my, my grandma was pretty strict, but she, I was her first grandbaby. Uh, she loved me. She yeah. still does to this day. Yeah. Uh, she's actually my only grandparent that's alive still. Mm-hmm. But uh, she was strict with my 
my my my dad and then his sisters from what i understand of course and then that got passed down to me so we'll get to that yeah but uh you know grandma was pretty strict and uh as far as that she was honest she doesn't take no shit you know what i mean <laughs> she don't take no yeah. talk back she don't she's right, just like no right. this is what it is and that's it she's, right. she's on her shit but uh yeah i got uh exposed to a lot of authentic caribbean food yeah and uh a lot of a lot of uh a lot of things just just the whole culture of jamaica because yeah. because the the latin community to a certain extent a lot of people don't necessarily mr and mrs earbuds think about it but there's a whole afro latin caribbean aspect to the latin community and some of the music that's trickled into the latin community has come from right some of the caribbean music rhythms or whatever right. that right. that that the slaves they originally that brought to the new world right that then lived and sometimes Built their own communities in yes, South America, a lot of times. Free, and fucking right, we're free people. And da, 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 da. So all of that comes down. So that's that's awesome. So like, I mean, were you? Do you have? Um, so for the uninitiated, <laughs> who who would you recommend if somebody was just hearing this for the first time, wanted to listen to some maybe Caribbean style music that might be interesting to think about? Do you have any thoughts or any suggestions? I mean, I just like reggae. I like Bob Marley's. You know, he's I mean, the man. Isaac I mean, Hayes. come on, I mean, dude. If you Marley's. don't like Bob Marley, you're dead. Here's a here's a funny story. My grandma uh, didn't like Bob Marley, and what? I'm gonna tell you why. Watch this. this okay, is great. Go so, ahead. So please. Okay, so as far as on my father's side. The Jamaican side. I'm the first rebel in the family. I'm the first one that kind of went off the rail. Okay. On my mother's side, I mean, I have uncles. They're bikers. They've been <laughs> in jail. They, they do their thing. You know what I'm saying? And, and so there's that. But on my father's side, my, all my grandparents, my ancestors, they were upscale business owners, working class, even higher class. There's a street named after my grandfather in Jamaica, like construction. They had, they had stuff going on. So my grandma was not with that. Uh, Bob Marley is a rebel. Right. He's for the people. He's in the streets. He he he's live protesting. People get behind him when they want to stand up to the man. When they want to stand right. up to what's going on. And see, that's the thing. Big my, fish eat the little fish. Right. He's like all his music is about that. And my my grandparents weren't with the rebel. They're not they on that. Them. You see what I'm saying? They're, they're not part of the establishment. They're part of the right. establishment. They get up, stand yep. up, stand up for your rights. Oh yeah, they're stand up. But they're <laughs> but but when Bob Marley is speaking, he speaks from us because we understand understand the struggle we understand the streets we understand the pain we understand the things that goes the on that makes right the hardships they, were, they of weren't life. rebels they weren't rebels we that's it. fascinating right so i was the first one um and then we'll get into it but the the whole like street thing gangbang thing when i did that i never went from the streets to my family i left my family completely i didn't bring them any of my beef any of my stuff i completely separated myself from my family because of how they are. I didn't want them to be involved in that. I went off on that on my own. Right, that wasn't their world. But some people don't realize that they're gangbanging and they go home to their mom's house and no. they get their mom's house raided and then put their family in danger and do all this. I didn't do that because yeah, my that family. That sounds like you had a clear understanding of the decision you were making. Oh, I, oh, I made a decision. I didn't. I didn't fall into it. I chose to. Oh, I, I dove headfirst into it. Right. Oh man, that's that's for sure. I I don't blame any anything any circumstances nothing on it. I went to the streets to gangbang. What was the basis that you made the decision on? Okay, well, so growing up, like I was saying, okay, so back to the Jamaican thing. Um, yeah. My father, when you look at him, you can tell that he's black. He doesn't look the, you know, the dark black skin. He's actually a light skin. He has a little curly hair. But you know 
that he has a black background. Mm -hmm. When you look at me, you don't see that. So for me, mm -hmm. it was harder to grow up that way because of my father not looking like me. Now, my mother and father separated. My mother went back. I look like my mom. I went back to Colorado with them, with, you know, my grandma. They're Spaniards. They're natives. They, you know, I look like them. And they're wild. They're, they're, they're wild. They're crazy. They're known. They have tattoos. They, they were known for doing that. But out here in L.A., uh, my father, he remarried to a black woman. So now they have, he, they have their establishment. And all of a sudden, I looked like different. The, the I'm odd out. man out. I'm the odd man out. Yeah. I, I, then they had my little brother. So now they have a little son that looks like them. <sighs> Then they had another little brother. So it just pushed me more and more out. So the further they established themselves, the further I realized this is not the place for me. Right. So bumping heads with my, my father because he tried to be that extra strict how he was in Jamaica. He didn't come out here until he was 15. Mm. Then he had me at like 19. So he was brand new. Just being here, he still had an accent. He had to learn how to speak without an accent and all these things. So right. he, he was really trying to get himself together. And then how could he raise me, teach me how to be here when he didn't know? He was right, still learning right, how to be right, right. here himself. He's an immigrant. So therefore, I had to learn the streets myself. And I learned more about here faster than he did because I walked, I lived it. Yeah, yeah. And he, he was and a working man. And also, you man. didn't have the pre-stuff from the old country. So I have to unlearn things. Exactly. Right, right, right. right. You, have you, you have to relearn and reset and understand what's different. So he had differences that he had to overcome where I was brand new. So... Uh, when me and him had our differences, really the only place that I saw to go was to the streets. And I was comfortable out here in the streets, like a wild animal in a concrete jungle. I felt good. Even mm. at a young age, I'm talking single digits, seven, eight, nine. I went to Grandview and I remember just walking, you know, the streets around here, uh, all the way down to Venice, Santa Monica, going to the beach by myself, just kind of being on my own. So... Uh, my next sibling is eight years younger than, seven years younger than me. Yeah. So therefore, I grew up alone. I mean, yeah. they were young. What, yeah. what can they do if they're little and I'm up here, you know, Your 10 years old. If I'm 10, 12, and they're three, four, it's, there's nothing there. So well, I actually, it's apart. So I had my own. I had to deal with my own, and I ran the streets. Um, in the 80s, uh, I got into uh, pop locking. Uh, I got into the, the graffiti, the graffiti mm -hmm. art. Uh, just tagging on stuff, learning how to do uh, bomb letters, uh, right. tags, wild style, uh, you know, and then I used to watch the movies and watch them how they did in New York and they got down over there. Mm -hmm. They've been doing it a lot longer than we have over yeah. here, but you know how LA is, we, <clears throat> we take things and we make it our own. Yeah. Right. That's yeah, just absolutely. the way we are. That's the American way. But in New York, they have things established there a long, lot longer. Hip hop was already there. Yep. Uh, pop locking was already there. Yeah. And uh, I learned a lot about that from them. But then I started understanding that the, the, the affiliations, the identities that people had out here. So when, people, when they would put their names on the wall and then they would have like an affiliation. Back then it was crews. Obviously gangs were around, but it was, were they from a, a, a crew? Were they from like a tagging crew? Were they from a gang? Were they from a pop block mm -hmm. group? A gang is just a, another group with common interests. That's all it is. It just happens to be, you know, there's violence and things and... and and initiations behind it, which gives it the bad name. But mm -hmm. a gang is just a band. It's a group. It's a club. It's a, you know what I'm saying? A it's fraternity a company. It's a fraternity. East that eventually turned into the CIA and killed people overseas. <laughs> there you go. Right? Right. right. Yeah. And, but somehow that's not a gang. Right. right. I got you. Right. So, <laughs> so it's just another crew. So if anything, back then I learned about the different crews. They were pop locking at the corner. They used to have a pop lock crew. I used to go out there with, you know, with the little pop lockers and do that. And uh, then I moved to um, Slauson and Overhill, 
And that was a predominantly black neighborhood. That's, so where, now, that's where I owned a couple homes right there on 61st and Overhill. I lived on 59th and Overhill. Yeah, I was fucking, I owned a home two blocks over. And then I owned a home on Fairview and Fair. Did you okay. ever smell right the any of the, of the steaks hill. he was cooking? <laughs> no? I mean, back in the 80s, you know, yeah, if it was back crazy. there. Yeah. Okay. So, so I went to Windsor Hills Elementary School after that. Okay. I should have went to Audubon, but I ended up moving to the South Bay. Um, but while I was in, in uh, Windsor Hills area with the Slauson Overhill, uh, that's when things kind of took a turn because I started understanding what was what as right. far as I had a friend that lived I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Jet Inn Motel on oh Slauson. yeah dog hell yeah okay I had a friend that lived in the Jet Inn <laughs> he went to school with me so I, so I used to go to, so I used to go over his house and his front he didn't have a front door he had a curtain on his on his you know you go down the hallway and yeah. they not all of them had front doors some of them had curtains people God. lived in these motels yeah bro Damn. but they you could hear everything you could hear fucking going on you could hear people fighting you could hear people whatever the fuck yeah, they were doing right. you could hear it you wow. see people with needles in their arms on the on the on the stairs yeah. and i just step right over them go about my way and uh you know what i mean i got exposed to that i started seeing it and i said man this is crazy i, I actually liked being around the riffraff the as insanity. they call it well yeah. let's let's put a pause right there what is it about your character if you want to call it that that wants to be or likes to be or feels comfortable around riffraff as you put it so eloquently uh i mean it's not riffraff to me that's no, what, I get that's it. what they call it but at the same time it's it's welcoming to me so it goes back even further like uh when i was a kid watching uh scary movies horror movies i like that gory shit i like Why the massacre and let me tell you this Go ahead. when most people are watching horror films and they're and they're watching the people getting chased by the slasher and they're scared because yeah. they think they're next. <laughs> I always put myself as the slasher. Mm. Right. So when I watch horror movies, I'm Jason. Yeah. I'm Freddy. You're chasing I'm them Michael down. Myers. Yeah, I'm Michael Myers. I'm chasing I've never put myself as the victim. I've never put myself as, so I'm not. You're, I'm not, not, you're not the prey. I'm not the prey. Right. So I became comfortable with the dark side and the evil side real young. Real young. But, uh, I guess my question to you is. Why is, how? Maybe it's my, why how and maybe there is no why how. But. The affinity of it, right? The ability to say, actually, to tell you the truth, when I hear your story, about, uh, when I hear you tell me, like, well, look, I'm identifying with the guy chasing him, right? Right. I'm also hearing a very intelligent guy who understands what this mode is, right? And understands that movies or whatever you want to call it, entertainment, is a place where people are supposed to identify with various subjects in the film. And you seem to have picked up on that the, the general concept is everyone's supposed to identify with the people getting chased. Most people do. Right. So I That's do. what makes it the, the horror genre. They're in the movie theater and they're, 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 they're screaming and they're covering their eyes and they're chasing because their endorphins are going crazy because they're in danger. No, I get all That's that. That's most people. But what I am also starting to sense is that you're a little bit more mindful and conscious of, of all of that. And it does seem to me that we've talked about in this conversation, Rebel. Right. We've talked about, quote unquote, the streets. And right. we've talked about Riff Raff. And now right. you're saying in this typical mainstream, you know, sort of fantasy that we're all, I'm going to go against the, I'm, a, I'm on the, I'm the rebel. Right. I'm the one with the mask and the knife. Right. And I want to see that. And I'm not going to be scared of that. I like it. I'm going to be there. So where does... For you, at what point did you realize, like, oh, I'm a fucking rebel? 
to tell you the truth, when I was younger, uh, spending a lot of time with myself, uh, I started understanding that I thought differently. So when I would see things and, and people things going on, I would see uh, someone hurting someone else. I've never been able to empathize with the victim. Interesting. I've always seen myself as the kind of the predator or the perpetrator, as they would say. Yeah. But... Um, that's something in me that has never, is, is I've never been somebody's victim ever since I was young. Uh, and I, and I, I stood out to be that, to not be someone's victim or not have something handled happen to me more like I'm the one that's taking the initiative to go on. But, uh, there's, there's something in it with the darkness, the, 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 the massacre, you know, the, um, the macabre. As right. the, you know, I mean, that's really what is the dark side. When I watch uh, Return of the Jedi, I'm part of the dark star. I'm part of the, the dark side. Right. I'm not Darth part Vader's of- fucking way doper than fucking Luke Skywalker. Thank you, sir. Right? <laughs> Guy looks fucking doper. He's got a cape. Fucking Skywalker's wearing beige and fucking right. looks like fucking ballet fucking right. tights. I'm like, what? Right. he's whining. Right. So most people put themselves on the side of the good, the side of the... You know, as they say, the, the just the good side, yeah. the light side. Yeah. But I've always been on that dark side, on the darkness. Um, what it comes from, you know, it could be something um, hereditary. It could be something that's uh, genetic. It could be something from before. But it also could just be the way that our brains, you know, are, are wired. And for me, it's always been, you know, and the, and the funny thing is, is that with people, I've always seen myself as like, oh, you know, I could be the slasher. But... With animals, it's not it's not like that. Like you know what I mean? Like I'm 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 more for the animal. When people are riding the bull, I I, I root for the bull. Of you course, because right, right, it's right, unfair, right. and that's the rebellious thing to do, my friend, is to root for the bull to get the matador. Right. Because it ain't fair. Fucking bull sitting there. What's he doing? Right. He fucking right. wants to fuck some bulls and eat right. uh, cows, and they're sticking him with things, and they right. got fucking horses, and they're weakening right. him. Right. Which is why everybody loves it. Right. Everybody loves it. Not everybody. Well, everybody loves it when the bull gets loose into the crowd. Right. Right. Yeah. That's the best part. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, when you, every once in a while that bull jumps the fence and you oh, watch yeah. all those fuckers yeah, yeah. run. Right. right. All of a sudden. It ain't yeah, all yeah, of boy, a sudden. It's not funny anymore, huh? Yeah, funny all anymore. of a sudden, dog. <laughs> no, so I'm pointing that out because <clears throat> I think maybe people with like armchair psychology or surface level understanding might say like, well... So there's a certain sociopathic or antisocial aspect to what you're saying. But it's not because you're empathizing, right? Sociopath can't do that, whether it's the slasher or the victim. They can't. So if you're saying, well, I actually am identifying and empathizing with the slasher, let's say, that is an empathy. That is. And I would even go so far as to say that darkness actually might mean something different to you, how you grew up than it does to others right, right. right. and and me being by myself um being comfortable yeah with with darkness uh I, I mean this is something a lot of people don't know but when i was young i used to hide and in my, myself in the closet in the dark okay and i used to be in there and let my mind wander and so if you're a cerebral person and you have you know imagination your your imagination is endless yeah so this is stuff that I didn't know until later, but as if you spend time in dark rooms, natu- your body naturally produces DMT. And so then it allows your mind and your imagination to go far beyond what you see in this physical realm. That makes sense, though. Totally makes, makes sense. sense. Oh, yeah, there's, there's, that's one way to, to accomplish that, to get to the DMT yeah. uh, um, aspect is to uh, put yourself in a dark space where you can't see anything, you can't feel anything, there's nothing there. 
but your brain. But your brain has to expand beyond what's in front of you. Right. There's nothing else there. Right. 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 Um, I was always comfortable with the monsters because I recognize the monster in myself. Right. So therefore, when they say the monster's under your bed and, and, and most kids were afraid of them, I made friends with them. They were the ones that kept me company in my darkest times. I made friends with the monsters. Man, but it, what it also sounds like to me, though, is that you recognized from an intelligence point that like, well, so the monster's going to be under the bed. You right. can either make friends with it right. or you can fucking be a bitch for the rest of your life and cry at night. Right. And you're like, fuck it. I'm going to make friends because right. blah, blah, blah. Right. And if we go back to the horror films, while it's true at the surface level that people are saying I'm scared or whatever it is, in actuality, these slashers, the movies, the monsters, they all represent some part of being human. Right. A reality that we all want right. to ignore. Okay. Right. So everybody's pretending we don't like that. But the blob is the massive fucking bureaucracy that's eating all individuality. The fucking body snatchers are propaganda that's being dropped and changing everyone way they act, even though they look the same on the outside. They're metaphors. Exactly. Fucking exactly. Right. All right. So you're locked up in the room by yourself, getting tripped out in the dark. Then you hit the streets. And da, 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 da. at what point? Where are we at, Steve? How do we? <laughs> are we back to you were 13 so, okay yeah so let me let me yeah, continue here so, 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 i this. could talk about this forever but okay so back to slosson and overhill yeah and this was where it took a turn for me because like i was saying i was in a predominantly black neighborhood and those who know know what's up i mean it's obvious that you go outside and you see what you see yeah. and in some neighborhoods you see a lot of brown folks some some places you see more black folk and you see the stores you see the businesses you see the things that go on you go to school predominantly black kids right now i have a black background i don't understand how some people don't like other people for their skin color that's not me obviously because i'm i'm mixed with 19 different ethnicities okay right. we can we can go as far as you want but i'm not part of that but the thing is that i got that from other people so believe it or not i got what some could be con considered racism towards me from black folks looking at me like i'm not believe that. one of them 100 yeah. and i'm like my dad look at my dad and they're like no you're not us right so they kind of pushed me away in that sense well so when i grew up on the reservation because i'm not full-blooded right I got the same exact thing. So while I understood that whites were racist against Indians, I could see just as easily Indians are racist against their own kind if they don't look like right, what they're right. supposed to look like. Right. So you got pushed away too. Right. Right. So if you see that, you start to realize that this idea of racism isn't really tied to a color. It's Everybody's not. doing oh, it. No, it's not. No. It's not tied to a color at all. Right. Because so, people don't know what I am, but right. they can still have some type of biased opinion against me right or, you know for themselves to say well you're not like us so we don't like you or right. we don't like that or whatever it is right so therefore i found myself kind of still wandering as a lone wolf because i'm like i don't fit over there i don't fit over there i have a hispanic background but yet i'm not mexican enough to where the mexicans said right. okay come over here but when it comes to street gangs, street gangs are made, as we know, more of the Chicano-based culture. And Chicanos are actually looked at, like you said, from Mexicans as you're not really like us. Right, I hear right, that right, all right, the time. Right, right. Yeah. So therefore, it goes back to the same thing. And a lot of the gangs in L.A. were formed off of people coming together to, to, to base a common interest on having that kind of, well, we're not Mexican enough, but we're, our parents are Mexican. Our parents are right. are. are they, they migrated over here, but yet we speak English. We're born here. A lot of them are. A lot of the homies are, are they can't. If they go to Mexico, Mexican, Mexicans won't say you're one of us. You're, right. you're from over there. Right, right, right. 
Right. Even if they speak the language, even if they yeah, whatever. Right. And they're not Mexican enough. And but not, not only that, dude, there's something weird about, and it's people of all colors that spend enough time in the United States that when they go back to their home country, even if they dress, look, sound, whatever it is, you can still kind of tell they're not from here really. Right. There was a great documentary. Vietnamese, during Vietnam War, they adopted ton, whites adopted a ton of Vietnamese babies, right? Raised them over here. The documentary followed this lady. She was as Vietnamese as a fucking, uh, like a fucking, like a faux, faux soup. Like right. she looked at sound, whatever. All she could think about was, I can't wait to get back to Vietnam where everyone's going to understand me. Right. Because I'm in Texas with a bunch of white people. They don't know me. Right. She goes back to Vietnam. Every single Vietnamese was like, you ain't Vietnamese. Right. Right, right, right. I swear to they God, they wouldn't have her. They they wanted her, but they but they wanted her because she was American and she was Americanized, and they all knew it. And yeah. there was no way for her to she. It was a blow to her mind. So for the same thing, where you're saying, you be here in this country, and all the white people might call you a Mexican or whatever. You go back to Mexico though, and they'll be like, "Yeah, hey, you you're not really Mexican. I don't yeah. know what you are, but right. you ain't Mexican. Right? You're from over there. So right. therefore, it's it's just not it's not completely." Um, welcome. Unified, and so yeah. It's, not, it's definitely not unified. Um, but I think that we collectively, as the youth in that time, found our own way based on that common, um, that common, you know, scenario, I guess, where we were kind of had to band together because we weren't all the way this, we weren't all the way that. And I say we, even though I'm not, uh, I don't have that same Mexican background, I still have the same story as far right. as my dad being an immigrant and not being welcome because I'm mixed right. and all these other things. And so um, at the same time, me wanting, not wanting to be at home because I didn't fit into my own family. I didn't fit into my neighborhood. I ran the streets right. and I ran the streets and I tagged on stuff and I found other people and I just did things that kind of, it was rebellious. It was like, we're going to do this because they don't want us to. It's going against the grain. It's going against... Uh, the system it's going against the law right and so because um, it was all that shit wasn't made for you anyway i mean the thing is that those are all restrictions those right. are all man-made restrictions right that that they put on us yeah and most of the laws that were made for this country were made before this land where we're on was was even part of that they made these laws in the 1700s and the 1800s when they only had so many colonies east of the Mississippi River. Right. California and all this had nothing to do with that. Right. Um, I don't know what, what uh, reservation. Washington State. Okay, so Washington, none of this was part of that. When they made the laws, when they made these rules for us, this was all free land. It was all wide open. And then they moved it this way and they brought the laws with them. Right. So, I mean, almost, I mean, even the East Coast, you could say, because they came from Europe with a certain set of property rights laws that they had set in mind. They had corporations that had sent over like fucking white slaves, essentially, to come here and start whatever thing. So all of those laws actually were pushed across this land, but the land existed before those laws were put here, for right. sure. And so they came, there was different reasons why they came. One was for the opportunity to, to have um, freedom. Another one was they were slaves and that was kind of their way to, to work and to do things. And they were brought over here without, uh, against their will. And then there was other people who were looking for religious freedom. They didn't want the, the, the binds and the rules that they had over there. So they came over here, which allowed them to be free. And then they wandered off and found their own. spot. I mean, that's how Salt Lake city and the Mormons, that's Utah. how they started. 
Um, you know, that's just one aspect well, so, of it. So it's interesting that you're talking about this because I don't think enough Americans really understand these points. It's not just exactly those things, but it's also that <clears throat> the king of Spain, the king of England, right? These folks, they would give a license to a company. It was actually the queen of Spain. Queen of Spain. Because the king was uh, King Fernandad yeah, of Fernand- Aragon. Ferdinand. Right, Aragon. Yeah. That's right. right. So they would give these licenses. And in fact, they used to give them to pirates, letters of mark. You could steal legally under our flag as a pirate, but we get a percentage. Right. Okay. Same thing with the idea of the colonies. Right. And you already know because you said it, Spain had a different relationship with South America and all those Indians there in the Catholic Church than British colonialism had in North America. A little bit different. But those companies that set up, Virginia Company, to all that for tobacco, sugar, all that right. was for these giant corps to make money off of people who were paid very little. And so when you get to California eventually, right, and you get to California like World War I, that's why that model of, I think they called it uh, the, 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 Bracadero program, the Bracadero program, but what it was is they take guest workers, quote unquote guest workers from Mexico, bring them into California to work those giant plantations, although they're not technically called slaves, but they get underpaid because they're actually bussing them in to turn these giant profits for these larger entities and corporations that go on to make these laws, pay cops, and all this other shit to make it real fucking hard for people like us to do whatever we want, have freedom in this country, right? Right, 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 right. So, I mean, you, you, you hit it right on the nail. Um, that's just basically the laws that they put up for us. Right. And when we understand those laws, we know they're, they're coming for us based on, on they don't, there's certain programs and certain things. Uh, you want to know where it is, follow the money, but certain, certain uh, funded, like for instance, in the hoods, you know, there's funding going on. There's, there's people that are on programs, so they want that. They have to have an a, a upper class. They have to have a lower class. They have to. Right. The middle class is what they don't really want. They kind of want to do away with it, but they can't because yeah. the workforce, they have yeah. to have it. Right. But really, they want everybody either up here or down here. Yeah. So they want people up here that, that they, they do the uh, donations, they do the funding, they do all this, and then down here, they get funded. Right. So they become... Um, reliant, reliant. Yeah. and 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 they 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 depend. They become dependents. Yeah. Absolutely. So then, once you become dependent, now you're a commodity, and that's just we're going to get to that. But that's why the California prison system is so big because it's oh. big business. Oh, listen, Corcoran, Corcoran, one of the one of the biggest during World War One ish. Something called the bull weevil, which is a little fucked up tiny insect that can fuck up cotton plants, destroyed the South. I mean, just ravished it so that there was no cotton. Where did they all move to? California. And Corcoran is right in an area. That whole valley was owned by like one family that had a massive cotton plantation. And they used to bring... Uh, uh, to, to underpay whites who actually lived there when it was like family-owned fa- farms and operations. It wasn't like a giant. It was like a bunch. They bought out everybody, pushed out the, the poor white farmer, brought in people who were real poor from other parts of the country and or a lot of African-Americans came over because there was no longer work on the cotton plantations back home. All of them over here. When 
that industry started to fail was when the CDs, the prison, the, the California uh, corrections, that's when they came in and proposed, why don't we build a big ass fucking prison in your shithole little town, save all of the jobs, and you're going to be eating like kings for the blah, blah, blah. And this land that was no longer usable for cotton by this big family was donated by that guy uh, to uh, the California Department of Corrections. And that is how that prison industry continues to work there in a place like that. That is exactly what's happening. Most of the prisons that are in California are in small towns. Right. And those towns are built to accommodate the people that work in the prisons. Right. California prison system for the COs, that's a unionized uh, system for right. them. And so when they, when they build a town like, let's say, Delano, California, Delano has two prisons. And so one of them is a reception, constant. There's people constantly going out there. And then they also have the, uh, the level four, which I opened up in uh, 06, I want to say. Uh, anyways, the uh, new, uh, new Delano. So there's a town there that's built to accommodate the people that work there. And that's how they make a lot of these towns. I mean, you go to Avenal, you go to Corcoran, you go to all these towns. They're all little small towns. Otherwise, they wouldn't have any, anything to do there. They're just dead. And they wind up imprisoning a lot of people because there's no longer work. And they, so, so, so everybody know, well, not everybody, but we all know that there was a huge agricultural, uh, like Southern California business, right? A lot of these places, Gardena, blah, 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 blah. They were all farms at one point and there was work, right? And, the, and also the aerospace and uh, factory stuff used to be here. When those, when a lot of that work cratered in and rich people started being able to buy up land and it was no longer going to be farms and all shit, there was a lot of out-of-work people. The prison law, the laws were set up to incarcerate all the brown and the black people so that they would be stuck in the prisons and they wouldn't be protesting in the streets for jobs and higher wages. That is exactly what happens. And then... These guards, by the way, they sell Corcoran. I read this whole thing. They sold Corcoran a bill of goods. The CDC's like, oh, yeah, your town's going to flourish. Everyone's going to have a job. But when you build a brand new system in a new town, they don't hire the people local because, like you said, it's unionized. What happens? Everyone with seniority comes over. The area gets even more depressed economically except for the people who are landowners that are being paid a certain lease or whatever it is and the business owners that are getting people to work in the prisons for Trump change to turn out whatever it is license place I don't know right. anyway so wait a minute so I, <laughs> so did you ever well let's get back here this guy deep into some social which I love but so you turn the corner you realize we're outside of all the system they've been pushing us out but we can we can identify with each other and create our own group right well that's what what really what gangs are is just um, a band of people that come together for a common cause. Um, but what goes so deep into it is that in L.A. we have these neighborhoods and these cities. And so they become, you know, identifiable. It becomes an affiliation. Right. And so, I mean, we could get deep into that. But every town, every city has those affiliates. Right. 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 And so uh, that becomes the life. When we go outside, that's what we see. Um, for me, uh, I chose to to... Exactly. I chose the exact gang I wanted to choose and my name. I chose it. I decided that where other people that they live there, their parents decided to grow up in a neighborhood and they go outside and that's what they see. And then the fellas like, come on, you're going to roll with us. And they end up getting taken to the wing. Right. I mean, we did that too. 
but that's not how I Yeah, got you didn't into get it. in there through osmosis. You made a conscious decision. I made a conscious decision. And so, like I said, I moved around, and I was already in the streets running around, and I noticed, I saw it. I, I would see the homies. For instance, when I lived in Culver City, I didn't understand it yet, but I used to run around with the homies from Culver City in the Mar Vista Gardens because I lived down the street on Inglewood Boulevard. Mm. And I used to ride my bike through there, and I used to see them wearing red and doing their thing, but I didn't understand it yet. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know the affiliation. I didn't know the numbers and, and, and all the, you know what I'm saying? I didn't, right. I didn't understand it yet. And over time, I got to learn that. But, but I can go back and look at people that I grew up from Culver City that ended up being from the neighborhood, from the gang I did time with. But I remember seeing them when we were young, going to school uh-huh. and so on. And, so, and then who did they fight with? Well, you know, you know how right. it is around right. here, the beef yeah. on this side, the four yeah. corners. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, this shit goes way back. So even back then... I understood it, but I didn't. I didn't understand it to the depth. I knew what it was, though, and I was like, "This is this is something that I'm intrigued in." But then I moved, so then I went to a whole different neighborhood, and we're right there on Overhill, um, there's Black Gang. So right there where I was at was Rolling Sixties Crip, yeah. mm. which is what for, where Nipsey Hustle's from. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to school, all the kids that were there, their older brothers, their pops, their uncles, they were from Sixties, and. They weren't, they weren't with me being around there because I didn't. I mean, it's All not right. that they don't have any. It's just that initially you have to really, if, if, you're, if you grew up in a neighborhood and you don't look like them or you don't sound like them, you really have to show a lot of face for them to fuck with you. You yeah, have to show a lot to prove. Consistently you, for consistent, a long time. long yeah, time. Yeah, they yeah. want to see you act, and, act a straight fool and say, this dude's crazy, we fuck with them. Otherwise, you're just another dude and you're not part of what they're doing. You're not right. part of their culture. And I wasn't part of that culture. Though I learned it, though I knew it from the inside out, I realized that, you know, these, these, these black, the black gangs, the black neighborhood, they're not going to accept me. There never are. Right. Right. So therefore, that's when I took the turn and said, you know what, I'm, I need to tap more into my Hispanic heritage. And I started seeking it out. I started looking for it and say, these are the people that look like me more. Right. These are the people right. that fuck with me more. Right. They sound like my people from, from over there. But all my people were in Colorado. I didn't have them to lean on. Right. See what I'm saying? I had, I had my, 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 my black family, and they didn't understand any of that. They, right. They're still new here themselves. Right. So really, I went out there and found it on my own. Now, we moved to uh, South Bay, uh, moved to, uh, I want to say, the north end of Torrance. So it's like uh, Gardena, Lawndale, Torrance, Hawthorne, in that area, right? I lived on one, 178th and Prairie. I went to school there, uh, and then I learned a lot. So I started learning about all the neighborhoods around. In that started, area. In that area. I started learning. I started seeing, you know, Gardena, South Los, uh, La Rana. You know, mm-hmm. I started, and I'm like, damn, this is, this is way different than where I came from. And right. now I'm seeing right. it. And this is in the 80s now. So now it's becoming more and more of a prominent, prominent um you know, a yeah. situation for everybody to see. It, gangs are really on the cracking. They're cracking. Yeah. And uh, music is allowing this. Ice T was talking about it. Easy right. E was coming out. I mean, it was yeah. just kind of the thing. And then they it's started the right making time right the movies, you know, Boulevard Nights and all. I mean, the colors. And that was right. my time. Colors, time was my time that I took that. Let me ask you a question. Before, because to a certain extent, some people might be like, yeah, the movie Colors is cool, but like, you know, it only showed like a clip or a slice of what it was, but it changed everybody's attitude, a lot of people's attitude right. towards the thing. So can you describe like what it was like before Colors became a popular movie and everybody thought they knew? Okay, well, I mean, Colors kind of gave an insight of it, but as you know, 
even even now, I mean, I, we haven't got into it yet, but me being in the entertainment field and being in movies and stuff, they never show the truth. They never right. show the real. And it's never. hard for people to get an understanding if they're not given the full story. Right, right, right. And so they only see what Hollywood glorifies, what the media glorifies, and uh, it was all by design. The gang glorification of like how the violence and so on and so on coincided with the laws and filling the prison. So it's, it, it all works together. And, right. And so what they want, what they initially want is for these gang members to kill these gang members. We get rid of them and then we put them away. You know what I'm saying? And then they become commodity and now we get paid off of them because, as you know, prison is a big business. It's on the stock market. There's prisons on the stock market. It's private. There's more, there's more money being spent on prisons than there is higher education. Now. Oh, they make more schools than, I mean, more prisons than schools all the time. And so, think about this. So That's that, by design, by the way. They don't course. want everybody to be smart, to be cerebral, to be intelligent. Only the people that stand out as being intelligent are pushed through the school system. Everybody else is dragged through with, you're either going to be a, a, a worker and you're going to be a, a taxpayer or you're going to be a, an inmate. I right. mean, really, there's not a lot in between. You can be an athlete, you can be a whatever, but either way, that's on the taxpaying side of it. Right. But if they you're definitely not gonna be, aren't going to educate you to be an entrepreneur. They do not want you. They to train do you to be a nine to five worker. That's well, what they, they want part of the workforce. <clears throat> right. Well, that's that was the basis of the American system, especially about from the '40s yeah, on after World War II. Yeah. That's been that's the, exactly sold the American dream through that. Right. But but. It's 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 interesting because it's even a little more complicated than that because in the 40s and the 50s when they were creating this nine to five thing right the drones okay we 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 want a lot of people that can turn the levers they were paying better money for that oh, yeah. back then like now you're you seeing something completely different and, yeah. so now you're seeing like something where it's like the same job but you can't even afford to rent an apartment well that's become pe people that's because people become dispensable. So if you're in the workforce, you can be replaced. And and to tell you the truth, I mean, 20 years ago when I got into the entertainment right. industry, they paid a lot more also. Right. So, like, I would go on a movie set or do a, a, a video or whatever, and they were paying. And then now, because of the, there's so many different, um, uh, you know, platforms, and they don't have to pay big budgets and, and all this. Is, MTV became irrelevant, all this other shit. YouTube, they don't have to pay people a lot because then somebody else will step up and say, I'll do it for nothing. Right. So the outsourcing once. So in the 50s and the 40s, it was kind of like we got to pay the workers here at home. That's why you have better wages and better benefits. Right. I remember there was a time. You right. All right. That's because the baby boomers, they wanted you to, to be in a situation where you can help bring the population up in, in this country. Around the 60s, right? Then all of a sudden, you have the FBI COINTELPRO, and then straight, right after that, you start um, doing the propaganda to start all the gangs in the prisons and all this other shit. Even before that, it was the fight against drugs. So right. when, they, when they were saying, when they made weed, cannabis, which is a plant, right. when they made that the, the demonic drug, the, what is it, the gateway, gateway drug, right. the so it had gateway. to do with Nixon and, and all the, and the Bushes, I mean, they were behind that, Reagan, yeah. um, they were behind that, and they pushed the war on drugs, right? Right. And they, and they blamed weed and all that, so then... But, and, and, and real quick, they pushed a war on drugs in the same way that they push a war on terrorism, and I'm not here to say, <laughs> I'm not here to say necessarily that there aren't terrorists and that we don't have enemies. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is, is that one of the things that the owning class high up in government likes to do is to create a war that has no end. 
Yeah. War on drugs has no end, really. Right. There is no end. So they can spend taxpayer money yeah. time and time yeah. again and pay all these other businesses, prisons, and, and, and the weapons industry and all that other stuff. And, I, and listen, I'm also not here to say that we don't need weapons. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying right now it's set up to create a lot of inequity. Go ahead. Sorry. Let, me, let me tell you about colors. Go and, ahead. And about the time of colors, if you listen to what the movies and what the, the, the music was talking about. There is an iconic weapon, or it became iconic, to the basically the gang affiliation. 100 years ago, you had the Tommy gun. Right. Right? So when they talk about the Tommy gun, they talk about the, the Chicago, the, the Al Capone. The mob. The mob, right? Okay, what is affiliated with gangs today? What there's one gun, AK, AK-47. Right. That's that's not by that's by not by accident. chance. Right. It's not by accident. Right. That's by design. Right. Now, if you really want to give some brain food, uh-oh, think about go. where does the AK-47 comes from? Who makes AK-47s? It's not an American gun. Right. Who makes it? There's Russian, two big countries. Russia and China. And at the time in the 80s, if 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 I mean those are communist countries, those are American kind of. Those are the ones that are the arch rivals. Those are the ones, the only two countries that America is really kind of uh, concerned with right. when it comes right. down but to but it. All their guns be getting in here. All the guns. How, why is it that all the streets in America are flooded with guns from communist countries? It's not, it's not by choice. It's Do not by chance. Why? It's by yeah. design. He's absolutely right. The K in AK stands for Kalashnikov. Did you know yeah. that? Yeah. I didn't know that. Gun. That's a Russian gun. Yeah. Absolutely. And the Chinese are their backup. Well, the Chinese, as we all know, the Chinese make everything. Someone makes something, they make it too. They make it. They make their own version. So they made their version of the Chinese or or the AK. They made the Chinese AK. Right. But if you look at whenever they show, like you mentioned terrorists, Mm -hmm. whenever you show them, whenever they show them in the media, what kind of guns are they holding? Right. So if there's if there if if people in whatever country you want to say that that uh, United States. Someone's arming them. But if you want to say whatever country America is having beef with at that time, they're holding AKs and then they're busting people, gang members in L.A. with the AK. They want to dress them up as terrorists. We are. Right. They, they call us uh, homeland terrorists. Man, that's that's, what, that's, now I understand why they call you Big Trouble. Why is that? Because you're stirring it up right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. That's what we do. Right. You know? So, all right. So... So how do you go from learning the ropes and understand? Because I'm going to tell you, watch this. I know where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. I know. Okay. So what ended up happening was I, as you know, you can't just walk up to a neighborhood and be like, I want to join your gang. That just doesn't work like that. Right. Um, And and it shouldn't ever work like that. Um, But at the time I knew, I knew about him. I started getting beefs. I started getting, you know, people were like, Oh, what's up? You're going to fuck with us. You're going to fuck with us. And I was like, nah, I'm cool. Like, like they, they, they kind of had me where they, I was in their sights. But where I lived, it was a block with different people from different neighborhoods, different gangs. They all went where they went. Mine, where I lived wasn't a gang neighborhood. Yeah. So I met people and I started having beefs and started having beefs with, with people from neighborhoods that were end up beefing with where I became from. So they, that kind of you know, had me in like, oh, okay, I know about them. But when I got busted, when I went to juvenile hall, mm. it changed my life because... When I went to juvenile hall the first time, I got caught uh, shoplifting, right? I was in the mall stealing clothes because I was a runaway. I used to steal clothes and food and all that. And I got caught. And I got caught at Nordstrom stealing some, uh, a jacket and some pants. And when I went to juvenile hall, I was 13. 
I went to camp. I went to Camp Kilpatrick in Malibu, and I was only 13. And I wasn't gang affiliated yet, but I knew. I knew people. That was a football camp. That was a football camp. Now, now I didn't tell you guys about my, my sports background, but I Yeah, but you're sp- a big dude. I was a big dude. Well, I wasn't always, you know, I was tall and slender, but I've always been tall. I mean, I was six foot at 14. Wow. So at 13, I mean, I was like 5'10", 5'11". I was pretty big. Yeah. Now, I have a football and a back, uh, basketball background. So when I went to camp, I wasn't an affiliate. So they weren't like, oh, this guy's a gang member. Let's just do him away. They're like, this, this, he's just a kid. He got himself caught up or whatever. But he actually is played sports. I played Pop Warner. Mm-hmm. I played Little League uh, for um, the uh, Crenshaw YMCA for the, uh, the Junior Lakers. I played, I played sports. So they sent me to the camp with kind of uh, ambitions to have me play on their, you know, that, that uh, Grand Iron Gang yeah, movie? Yeah. It was during that time when right. I was there when they were creating the football team and then they were going out to play high schools and so on. Right. So when I got there, they had two dorms. And they had the dorm that was the sports dorm that was where all the people on the football team where they, they resided. Then there was the fuck-up dorm. Well, when I got there, I was only 13, so I wasn't old enough to be on a high school football team yet. Right. So therefore, I couldn't be in that program, even though that's why they sent me there. So they ended up sending me to the fuck-up dorm. And in the fuck-up dorm is where I learned all the shit that I needed to know. I learned about affiliations and about just all the culture, everything. I just got, I mean, I would just sit there and listen to stories and just hear people and talk about it. And I met people from all over, not just from my neighborhood, not just from my area, um, not just from the South Bay or not just from the West Side, but from all over. I met, you know, people from El Sereno and people from the Valle and people from all over the place. And they all had their their stories and their nicknames and they would see each other and be like, where you from? Oh, what's up? We got beef. Let's fight. Let's get down. We're getting down right now. So me, you know, being a youngster and having like, I found myself kind of as a as an angry, violent child. And I used to take it out on sports and whatever. And I used to fight a lot. Mm. So to me, Game banging is like the ultimate blood sport. It's like you go in there and you know that that's what it's about. You can't go in there being no bitch. I mean, people do all the time and it gets exposed and they don't last. But to to be into, I mean, what you want to fight, join a game. That's that's what you do. That's that that is gladiator. You you fight, and not everybody fights. But it's just like this. Whenever you have, let's say, for instance, you have a military, right, an army. You have soldiers, but you also have commanders and you have generals. You have generals. You also have trainers. You have everybody all the way up, all the way down. You have people that are new, wet behind the ears and they got to prove themselves. They got to go out there and do this. But you got people that have been doing it for a long time. They might not be warriors, but yet they're cerebral. They're strategic. They know how to talk. They have the, the gift of gab. They can sit there and they can help. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know what I'm saying? They pass through and now they're able to teach other people that. So it's a, it's. It's not just we just started a gang and here we are. This shit has been going on for years. When you come in, you're already part of something that's been going on. You have shot callers. You have people that hustle. You have people that gang bang. You have people that, that do what they do. Everybody mm-hmm. has their, their role. When I came in, I wanted to fight. When I started hanging around with, with you know, certain people and they would get shot at, they're shooting at me too. Or they're, you know, they're, they're hitting them up. They're hitting me up, too. What's up? Where you from? Whatever. And if they're fighting, I'm fighting. That's, yeah. that's, and so that's what drew me to it. It was the, the team. Because gang is a team. Just like a sports team, everybody plays their position. Everybody gets each other's back. Everybody does what they got to do. And the point is to beat the other team. Right. When you, when, it's not the same now. Gangs are not the same now. There's so many other things that we're exposed to. But at that time, in the 80s and the 90s, it was being brought to the mainstream. Everybody could see it. 
And we kind of needed that way to say, okay, you know, when you go outside, that's what you do. We all know that gangs had a, a chokehold on L.A. for a lot of years. In every neighborhood, all you saw was just, just writing on the wall. You see homies rolling by. You see people doing their thing. Everybody knew, like, all oh, the cholos or the gangsters, they hang out over there. Mm. They knew. But a lot of people, a lot of neighborhoods understood, like, if they have gangsters in their neighborhood, they're kind of safe. Because the gangsters in their hood are not going to allow other people to come around and fuck with them. Right. So it, it, the neighborhoods that really took care of themselves wouldn't break into cars in their own neighborhood. They wouldn't break into houses, their neighbors' houses, and then, and then have the neighbors against them. You know what I'm saying? People thought like, oh, okay, they're out there hanging out or whatever. But then when their kids came out, when their kids are walking to school and then people are doing their thing and crossfire or whatever, that's when it is innocent people. Innocent people get involved and they get harmed and they're not part of it. So there's a but, crossover. If you're in it, you got to get in it. But as soon as you start getting people involved that are not involved, you're crossing over. But isn't that this? I mean, isn't that similar to actual war? I mean, generally right. between countries, right. Right. if it's the soldiers that are fighting each other, people. I mean, nobody likes war. Blah 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 blah. But the truth of the matter is, is when there's collateral, Warriors when there's like war, innocent, right? Exactly. And people who want to live vicariously through warriors, yeah. like war, right? I mean. So, but when so-called innocents that aren't a part of the beef in international, the Ukraine or Russia get hit or killed, then it starts to become a problem for everybody who wants to settle everything down. Right. And that's the same thing that happened with gangs when they say, oh, people are, that are not involved are getting involved. Right. Now innocent people are getting hit. It's the same thing, just like you said about Ukraine or whatever uh, and Russia. Not everybody in Russia wants to go to war. They, I think most of them don't, actually. They don't. They right. don't. They don't. They're. They don't like what's going on over <laughs> no, there. They don't, don't like that their so-called leader is doing what he's doing, which he denies doing. I mean, that's, that's why they're thing. surrendering as soon as we run up on. Right. That's why they they're want like, some food. Yeah, they're like, they, fuck, we're starving. Or out like they're like, I don't know, my tank's not working. I right. fucking can't drive it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, that's the way it is. And but gangs are not all about war. Right. That's the part that it com- it comes down to where they glorified that because they threw all the AKs into the streets. Yeah. They also threw certain drugs into the streets that made people lose their shit. Yeah, yeah the, they also so, removed all the jobs and all the fucking other shit. To me, I think that's the, true the two things that really, well, three things really that mess us up, but they all work together is obviously before the AK, before the 80s, before the glorification of gangs, we could look back even on old movies. I used to watch The Warriors, The Outsiders. They all show... A, a kind of like a gang environment. But mm-hmm. this was before the gun violence. So back then, we used to pull out a knife. knife. We used to have... Butterfly knife. We used to have a chain, pick up a rock. Right. You get you, Somebody got a bat. Somebody has a switchblade, whatever it is. Right. But you know you can rumble, and unless something drastic happened, everybody was going to lick their wounds the next day and go about right. their way. Right. But now, everybody's on the verge of death. Yep. Yeah. And so it's different. It's not even the same anymore. Nope. It's not it's not what it was back then. It was like we kind of hold down ours for ours. If you look at the the, the Warriors, the Warriors is a great movie. You look back because you can see this was pre-technology, pre, you know, gu- uh, uh, guns, you know, where, where they just threw all the guns on the streets. This was just raw, raw gangs, just clubs that are going about their way. And you see the Warriors going through, and it's like, we got to pass through 200 gangs to get back to where we were. And you see how everyone treated them different. In L.A., it it was like that. Not the same, but the same same aspect. If you were stuck somewhere or if you were from here or from there, whatever, you're affiliated, you're associated, you got to go somewhere else, you got to deal with that. Some are friendly, some are not. But what messed it up was 
all the, 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 the guns that came through started killing all the homies off. Because, I mean, if, if, if it's there, we're going to use it. Because yeah. yeah. some people can't take an ass whooping. I mean, that's, no, and that's, that's a, exactly the culture. Right. But I remember, though, I used to get out and slang them. Right. And, and, and the other thing was, man, we used to, on the West Side, we used to play football, dude. Right. We'd have football games right, and right, shit right. in Culver City. And right. like, right. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. could squat. You could, it wouldn't need to go to that level. You'd hear of every now and then when I was young, you know, somebody, like, somebody got shot in the leg or some shit like that right. back in the old days. Right. But now it's completely different, right. dog. Right. I, and I you got a bunch of motherfuckers that they go to the joint, bro. They don't know what to do. Right. The motherfuckers are scared to fight. They can't stand because right. they're all like that. That's right. all they got. They got no ball. If they got no homies, they ain't got their strap. They're not rolling deep. And they're, they're alone. I mean, oh, they don't dog, know what to do. Scary. They don't know yeah. what to do. Scared. Did you ever have to uh, do a term or anything? What do you mean, prison? Yep. Oh, yeah, I did uh, two terms and a violation. So, I mean, I did my time. How much time did you do or, or whatever? And what was the allegation or what was the, what did they claim you did? Uh, altogether, uh, okay, so the first time I got busted, it was in Juvenile Hall. I went in. It was 1988. I went to Central Juvenile Hall, Unit O, Unit J, small. I mean, that you had to be 12, 13, 14 to be there. Small, youngsters, right? That's when I started. The last time I was in there, 09, on a violation. So... That's a 20-year span. In that 20 years, I did 15 incarcerated. Wow. Total. Right. So uh, I did, uh, I went to all the, all the juvenile yeah. halls, all the LP, Central, Silmar. I went to six camps, including four of them in Challenger, Kilpatrick, and, um, and uh, Camp Holton, which I essentially escaped from there. How does, how does a guy escape? Well, actually, they, I didn't escape from the camp, but when I was there... Uh, they, somehow the, my counselor made a deal with my mom, and my mom said she would uh, let me, uh, she would take me in Colorado. So they were going to give me a little bit of time off because I was not going back to the hood. Yeah. So they were going to knock off a couple months and say, okay, if you're going to go to your mom in Colorado, we're just going to send you off, and then you don't have to worry about it. So they were trying to get me away from L.A. Right. But because I was already involved, uh, I mean, I went into a coma from my hood. I had tattoos already from the hood like i was too involved that I, I i cooperated and i was like yeah i'm gonna do that yeah 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 for sure but i had no intentions of ever going over there right so what they ended up doing was once you start getting closer to to getting released they would take you on field trips so they took us on a field trip to ucla basically to give us like uh try to give us like some ambition to go to college oh. after because we were in college years. I was 15 at the time. Right. So they were trying to get us like, look at this. This is look what at, you could be doing. Yeah. yeah, get a taste of this. Look at this gym. You could be playing sports here. Look at this, whatever, whatever you were into. Right. But I had no intentions of going back. So when I went there that day, I knew I wasn't going back. So when we hit the library uh, and they weren't watching me anymore, I hit the back door. And there was another homie that was there. He was from 18. His name was Sabu. And he saw me. He was like, hey, you leaving? I said, yeah. Well, he's like, I'm coming with you. I said, don't slow me down. Right. And we ended up jumping on a bus, and then we split our ways. He went to, he was from like 7th and Broadway or whatever, and I went my way, and uh, I went back to the hood. A week later, I got caught. And How'd they catch you? They caught me at the homie's house, slipping, sleeping. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I got caught slipping. But, I mean, they knew I was going to go right back to the hood because I didn't have anything else. Where else you going to go? Nowhere. Right. That's, that was my life. Right. So a week later, I ended up going back to another camp. It was Camp Smith. And when in Camp Smith, everybody there was a fuck up. That was last resort. Everybody had YA stays. Everybody had been, you know, rejected. I had already been to other camps. So 
um, that was where all the fuck ups were. It was fun. I was fighting every day, doing <laughs> yeah. writing on everything. But then I'm getting out. I was there during the LA riots. I was there during uh, the big LA earthquake and all that shit. So, anyways, I ended up getting out. And then in 92, uh, I was, because I never went home. Like, I would get out, get released, and then I would hit the streets. Yeah. So I would never stay at, you know, Pop's house, whatever. I didn't, I didn't do it, especially once what I was, was affiliated. What was their attitude by this time towards you? Like, man, I don't know what else we can do to help they this kid. They couldn't do anything. Yeah. I was, I was too far gone. Matter of fact, my, my pops was already kind of over it for having to miss work to go to court for me and shit. He was, he was over it already. He was like, just keep them. Just, I mean, what am I going to do right, with them? Right, right, Wow. And so they ended up put, putting me in, in places. Uh, then I'm going to YA in 92. I got caught up for, uh, for some uh, for sales I had dope on me. Uh, I told them I was using it so then they wouldn't say I was selling it. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. you know how that goes with drug programs. So they didn't put me in a drug program. I went to YA two and a half years later, and uh, that's when I got out of YA. Then uh, in 95, I got caught up, uh, assault, great bodily injury, uh, and I got caught up. They were trying to give me like 30-something years. Man. I kind of went into like a little I don't give a fuck uh, mindset. I went to the game module. I was 19. Uh, young buck out there just you know that, but that was the mindset I was right where I needed to be yeah but when you look back at it now like how young is 19 to be in that oh situation? that's a baby yeah. I was a baby and I was with grown ass men doing their thing like like how we are now that yeah. are still involved yeah. and, uh, and and back then I was on uh, you know I was on Abel Row in 95 and Abel Row was all the youngsters and they didn't give a fuck there was just no kind of sense you know and then uh, the other row had the older homies and the older homies were just very efficient when they did anything, if you know what I'm saying. They didn't waste time. They didn't waste energy. It was either this or that. No but, flash. But youngsters are all about that, the glorifying everything, and they yeah. want it all. And so, I mean, they're quick to do whatever. But, uh, you know what I mean? We, shit, we, that's what it was. I was right there along with that. Uh, you know, I ended up getting a deal and uh, went, went up to do, uh, do some time. I hit a three-yard the first time. So, it, I mean, it, was, it wasn't that bad, but it was up there. How does you? How do you then? At what point do you make it into entertainment? Like, how do you get your first opportunity? Okay, so so during the time when I was in, okay, this is ninety nine. I'm getting out, right? Yeah. Um, I had did four years, so I'm only twenty three at the time. Still wet behind the ears, still brand new. But by then, I had uh, I had a daughter, and so uh, I had my daughter when I was busted, and so it kind of changed the way I saw things. Um, Congratulations! Thank you. I actually have three kids, and I'm going on my fourth grand. Daughter, because uh, I just got my daughter September. two and a half years ago, and it changed my life completely. Well, I got that at nineteen. Well, actually, it was yeah, I was nineteen when it. Uh, okay, so from fourteen to nineteen, those five years, I was in a real dark place. And yeah. when I say dark, uh, anybody that's listening, if they can think of dark, I was in the darkest of places. I didn't have any, and I didn't, I didn't talk to any of my family, so I didn't have anybody that I came from to lean on. I didn't have anybody to. You know what I'm saying? To go home to or whatever. I was either in the streets or I was in jail. Yeah. And I was 150% gangbanging. I was a gangbanger. I wasn't just a gang member. I was I was a gangbanger. I was with the dirt. Right. I was just, shit's going on. I'm I'm quick. I, I was on it. And um, I, was, I was ready to fight, ready to do whatever, ready to shoot. Then my name was all over the walls. Gladiator. I mean, I was, oh, I was straight gladiator. So I had nothing else. Nothing else going on. I had no ambitions of anything. But as we know, life is lived forward, but it's understood backwards. So only looking back can we see how we got to certain points in our life. But at the time, I didn't know that. I didn't know that that's all that, was, that I was doing. I didn't know that I could make something of myself. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I had my daughter and it made me 
think about, oh, shit, I got somebody that's attached to me. I, I passed my blood on. I passed my genetics on to somebody else. It gave me something to, it, almost like, you know, when they say you have nothing to lose, it gave me something to lose. Right. So it made me think about doing things different. When you're out there, you don't have anything to lose. You really, you don't have any really sense because there's nothing really to think about. There's no consequences. If I die, I die. If it happens, it happens. Sorry, guys. This episode was so big, we had to cut it in two. So make sure you come back for the next episode, Big Trouble Part 2. Also, make sure you go and check us out at www.hardluckshow.com and head over to our Gum Road. That's hls.gumroad.com. Proto episodes are up. Art of War audiobook is up. LA Crime Mixtape is up. Make sure you check those out. And until next time, adios from the Hard Luck Show. Yeah.